welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving the perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How's everything, man? It's going pretty good, man. And um, today we have just a, a wide variety of topics. We got um, a, a couple of NBA topics to get into today, um, previewing Canelo's um, uh, uh, super, super middleweight uh, title defense fight, um, and a couple of album reviews. And then in the second half, we're going to do a review of uh, Malcolm and Marie. Um, it started off with just thoughts on the Nets' chemistry and current eight-game winning tree. Just how concerning um, is it that KD will be out until mid-March? Um, with without Durant on their past West Coast trip, they were able to beat the Lakers and also the Clippers last Sunday. Um, specifically, James Harden has really flourished. He's averaging twenty-four point two points per game with career highs in assists, rebounds, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage. Um, Kyrie and Harden during the five-game West Coast road trip settled into just new offensive roles as Harden's been the point guard and Irving the shooting guard. Um, but before we get into just KD being out, um, what are your thoughts on just what Brooklyn was able to, to currently do in their eight-game winning streak and also just on that West Coast trip where they were able to beat some pretty elite West teams and, and two LA teams? I think it was, it was something they had to do outside of the court. I think it was they had to identify roles. So I know uh, Kyrie uh, mentioned yeah. before he was like, "Well, I'm the shooting guard, you're the point guard." I think it had to be some type of respect and just identifying what everybody's role is and everybody buying into that role. I think this is the most selfless I've seen James Harden in his entire career. Well, not entire career. I think he was so selfless when he was with the, uh, OKC, but I think now he's 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 doing. He's, he's in a different role, and I think he likes that role, but he can turn it on at any time. And I think that's the same thing for Kyrie. Um, I, I like the chemistry. I like I like their supporting cast. Uh, they got a couple guys out, like you said. Um, notable is KD, of course, but they also have Jeff Green out with a shoulder and Spencer Dinwiddie out with a, a knee injury. So it's, but I still love their, their, their core. I love the chemistry they're building. I love the way how selfless <laughs> James Harden looks. And he yeah. looks calm. He looks happy. He looks like he's enjoying basketball again. So I think it's they have to get outside of what they could do on the court, but just realizing everybody's role and everybody buying into it. If there's a ranking for like just the three most important players on that team, I would go KD Harden and Kyrie. Would you would you go the same like in terms of just like who's the most important? Because I feel as though with Harden, it's it's facilitating, it's actually one of the most underrated things that we forgot about. Like that's really his natural state of play. Right. Yes. And I think he's a yeah. natural and, point and, guard, but he just has the ability to take over games. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's it, Houston, we saw him dominate just scoring. And I feel, and I feel as though with this one, with, with Kyrie, like even, even back in Cleveland, it was just natural for him to, to kind of be a shooting guard you know, obviously I had to play point guard more, but it seems as though with what Steve Nash has had, had to do in his first year, he's really, if this team's going to have the right success, the designation of roles is like clearly the biggest thing. Right. And I, I think for the order you were mentioning, I do think it's Katie Harden than Kyrie. But if we go on by ego, I think it's Kyrie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Harden than Katie. If we're going by just, just ego. And I think it's, yeah, it's definitely flip. And I think these guys understand um, the insecurities that Kyrie has and they want to 
um, you know, pander to that to make sure he feels comfortable um, in the system, comfortable in the uniform. That's why he had to step away for multiple reasons. I think, you know, the guys had a talk was like, well, Kyrie's like a little brother. So we got to make sure our little brother's okay. So if I have to take this role, I'm going to do it for the better of the team. So I think that's why I said this is most selfless. I've seen James Harden because we know he could take over a game if he wanted to. Just like they just beat the the Orlando Magics 129-92. He went off for uh for like the the whole third quarter, but Kyrie still had what 27 points. Uh 27 points, nine yeah. assists, two steals. James Harden had 20 points, nine rebounds, seven assists, whatever. So we're still allowing Kyrie to be himself, but we're, you know what I mean? We're, we're buying into the role. KD is the guy, though. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 let's not get oh, yeah, confused. Sure. KD's the guy. But no, I, not but get I it think twisted. That order not get it twisted is, at all. <laughs> yeah. KD's the guy. And I like that order. It's KD, Harden, and then, then Kyrie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and transitioning to just, you know, as we were talking about with KD, him being out um, until after the All-Star break, um, this is due to a left hamstring train that he suffered earlier in the month. And um, earlier this week, Steve Nash said that that Durant would be back for um, one of the team's games prior to the All-Star break. But now, obviously, this is requiring more patience before he returns. And um, he was one of the captains for the All-Star game. And it's going to be the first time a captain um, hasn't played since the league changed from the East-West format. Um, but what are your thoughts on KD just currently being out in the importance? As we we're saying, this, he's the most important player for this team. And right. his health, as we as we've seen, like if Katie's not one hundred percent, they're not going to be able to reach the heights that they can can reach in the East and, and beyond. Well, you know it, it's crazy. These guys are number first in uh, points a game, so that's that's bonkers in itself. But without Katie, I think just like without um, AD, Katie, AD, both of those guys are are injured right now during the break. <laughs> but I think without those guys, they. They can stay afloat. You have two big stars. Now, you look at the Lakers, they only have really one big star outside of AD. But the Brooklyn Nets have Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And then we can we can, we can can continue to go, but we don't have to continue to go. KD is just like when he was yeah. with the Warriors. He's a great asset. He's a game changer. He's a cherry on top. But these guys can, can do what they do. They're on an eight-game winning streak right now. Um, first time since I think 2012 or 2011 or something like that. So they're on a roll. I think they can continue to go. They look good. The supporting cast look good. Um, I forgot the guy's name. He was killing in this uh, Magic's game. Uh, shoot. I think it was... Uh, Joe Harris? Not Joe Harris. It was uh, uh, Shemit? Shemit? Something like that? Landry Shemit. Yeah, Shemit, he yeah. went off yeah. with, from behind the arc. Really good. So, they have a good supporting cast. They did a great job putting this, these teams together, this this team together. I think they're fine, man. With with or without KD, I think KD is just like that extra, just like, okay, that's unnecessary. Why? Why do you need this guy? That's unnecessary. So I mean, they're still but good. for title, um, but for title aspirations, they're definitely they're definitely gonna need him. They're definitely oh, gonna need him for back. Sure, to they're gonna need that yeah. <laughs> extra, extra off. But just in, you know what I mean? They can it's, it's for normal. now, for now, they can stay afloat. Well, matter of fact, Willis, I do think they can win. They could go uh, deep into the playoffs and NBA, you know, without KD. I'm a, I think they can. Would you? Would you say like in terms of because I know you're we've we've really been high on Philly. Like if there's a team that deserves to be the favorite in the East right now, like between those two, because they have been the top two teams in the East so far this season. Like like, like who would you? Is there a team you would slightly give the edge to as of now? Hmm. 
I say Brooklyn, even though they're half a game behind. Yeah, I say Brooklyn. Brooklyn's chemistry is going to be crazy. And when KD go- comes <clears> back, it's going to be even crazier. That's what everybody was looking for. That was everybody's wor- worried about. Can James Harden play uh, just a point guard role? We know he can, but can he buy into it? Can Kyrie stop being a baby and just understand his role? Can KD be healthy? Can they get the chemistry, the supporting cast good? It's a lot of underlying questions, and I think they're answering it finally with this eight-game winning streak. I know it's only, you know, it's eight games, but it's eight games with, you know, guys that yeah. haven't played together consistently. And uh, most of these guys are coming off injuries or mental mental issues and things like of that nature. But I give it to Brooklyn. Brooklyn has a chemistry that is unheard of this early on. Um, and then being a, a half a game behind Philly, you know, that, that, that sits well with me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to the Celtics' recent struggles and if they, even if they, you know, get more sides for the trade deadline with that solve issues, um, they won um, by six against the Pacers last night, but before that, um, you know, they blew a 24-point lead last Sunday against the Pelicans. Their offense overall has been stagnant, and they've, they've had just a lack of depth that has affected them all season. Um, they also had the three-point loss to the Mavericks Tuesday night as Luka um, hit the go-ahead three-pointer. Um, but Aiden Brown and the late first-round pick, Aiden Pritchard, have all delivered in every aspect of the other pieces have underperformed along with um, – Marcus Smart's calf injury keeping them out of um keeping them out of all February. Um, but to you, kind of like, what are your thoughts on Boston's uncharacteristic struggles? I mean, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and possibly what they would need before the trade deadline to get them just kind of back to that upper tier in the East because they're they're just kind they're not a, a bad team, but they're just in the middle. Like they just seem to like not be at the potential we saw them recently last season. You know what? And I, I've said this before. Marcus Smart is the fuel for this basketball team. And he's not Absolutely. being completely healthy. Uh, I think when he's on the court, coming off the bench or he's in the starting lineup, he gives that team up. He's like Patrick Beverly. He's got that fire mm-hmm. that people, it just gravitates to. Without him on that court, it's something changes in his team. Now you look at the rock. I mean, Kimmel Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like Tristan, even Tristan Thompson was an interesting pickup. Um, I think he can still give you boards and he'll, he'll give you a, a decent defense, but he's not, he's not a particularly good scorer, but you look at their lineup, you think, why are they 16 and 17? And I've been trying to figure it out. It's, well, it's, it's really, it's really confounding. It's really confounding. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out because <laughs> These guys, like you just said, they were at the top last year in the bubble. And now it's it's yeah. extremely hard. I don't know if it's the chemistry. I watched highlights. I watched film. I was like, the. I mean, they're not losing like by ton. You know what I mean? They're still top seven in, in they're scoring. Always uh, in close, they're always in close games and they're just not able to finish them out. And I don't know if that's something on Brad Stevens or what the nature is. It's something they have to figure out well. It's and I'm trying to figure out with them because due to the circumstances of having great stars, like <laughs> I don't understand why they're yeah. 16 and 17. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm, yeah, I'm like well it's it, I watch highlights and everything. It's baffling. Like, it's baffling. It is, bro. <laughs> Especially I'm like watching all these, I'm watching all these house of I'm watching all these house of highlights clips. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> hey, it is so crazy. Jason Tatum's having his worst year. Cause last year he was in a slump last year too. 
but he's having his worst yeah. shooting performance of the year. Mm. It's crazy. We have, I mean, I still have high hopes for this kid. But was last year, was last year their best shot, was last year their best shot to get to a finals for the next few seasons. I feel as though in the bubble, that was really their best shot to get back to a finals. I think so. I think so. It, I think they I think they may have missed out on their window. And I know it's crazy to say because Tatum and Brown are, are so young, but the East is just, it's still stacked. You know what, Wellington? Now, and now we're talking about this, and I think we we figured out the answer why they're struggling, and why they're sixteen and seventeen. Jalen Brown can't hit from three. Jason Tatum has it; he's having his worst shooting year in his its tenure so far. Mm-hmm. Kim Walker is playing good basketball. Tristan Thompson to give you thirteen boards a game. Yeah, he's been consistent. Marcus Smart is injured; and he's not on the court. Those those that's it. There you go. We figured, we yeah. figured it out. We, we finally figured it out on the spot. <laughs> on the spot, man. Jalen Brown can't hit from downtown. He fails to hit from the deep. Jason Tatum have, is having his worst shooting year ever so far. Hopefully he changes that after the All-Star break. A lot of guys get, you know, rejuvenate themselves and, and refocus and they come out the break and they go ham. And I hope that's for Jason Tatum. And, and, and this could be a team. And this could be a team after, all, after the All-Star break flips the switch. Right. It, it may be one of those things where they're a better second half uh, type of team. So it, it's, like you said, it, it's it's Browns, um, Brown and Tatum, there's specific parts of their game that they haven't mastered yet. And then, yep. obviously, Marcus Smart, he's just the engine that keeps them going. Yeah, and then he'll be back, hopefully, after the the, the All-Star break, and he'll give them something on, on, on the backcourt. You know what I mean? Backcourt and frontcourt. They just need to slow it down. Go back to the basics and be the Celtic scenes that we saw last year. Yeah. Simple. It sounds Absolutely. simple enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but transitioning to uh well, before we even get to that, Devin Booker, he was named the 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 all-star starter to replace Anthony Davis and the Suns. I mean, it's about time. It's about yeah. time, Devin Booker. It's, it's, it's about yeah. time for him because he's He's one of the rising stars in the league and the Suns, you know, they're a top four team in the West. Kind of like, what are your just quick thoughts on him, you know, finally getting that for his resume and also just what the Suns have been able to do as Chris Paul has really helped them become an elite West team. They all already had talent, but, you know, this has become a really successful type of competent team for for, for Phoenix. About Tom, and um, I'm... I don't understand what goes through the process. Devin Booker has been a consistent player since he got in the league. Now I hated that he's with the Suns. Now they got Chris Paul. They, you know, they're they're getting to a standard, but still, I just hate that he's with the Suns and his his career is like. I, but it's he should have been an All Star already. Let's let's call you know let's call it spade a spade. He should have yeah. been already been an All Star. Yeah. It's the same thing they snubbed Damian Lillard. I don't know what goes into this of voting or getting players to to be an All Star, but this guy should have been an All Star eons ago. And his yeah. stats his stats says it. So I'm 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 happy for him. Uh, but he's probably salty because somebody had to get to hurt hurt to for him to be able to actually to have, have him opportunity. have the opportunity to be in. Right. So, I mean, even with that, you take it in, you enjoy the moment, and then you get back to work after the break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Transitioning to to boxing and just um, the thoughts on Canelo's upcoming fight against major underdog uh, Avini um, Avini, uh, Yildirim and what to expect from him. 
um, this super middleweight title defense by Canelo Alvarez in Miami is considered to be just a foregone inclusion by most. Uh, Yo Durham, the WNBC mandatory challenger, has lost both of his um, big type of fights in his career and has been out of the ring for two years um, now. And for Canelo, who's on a um, after war unifying his WBC and WBA belts with the WBO uh, world title, currently held by jo Billy Joe Saunders later this year. But um, what are your thoughts on how Canelo will look back in the ring? Um, you know, last time we talked about Canelo, we thought he was going to be in a trilogy with Triple G. That still right. hasn't happened yet. But only after a two-month space from his last fight, um, what do you think this would mean for him just to win this and become the undisputed ch champion of a div division? It means the world. And especially yeah. with that trilogy, I think uh, he, he needed a fight that to, to make sure he's still in, you know, fit shape. And I was watching some hot, not some highlights, but watching his training videos. The oh, man's yeah. defense. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. incredible how fast he is. He's a, he's, nobody gives him credit for being a great counter puncher and being like a big defensive boxer. The guy moves quicker than Money Mayweather. Mm hmm. And I was like, yo, I didn't know he was this good, this fast. And then after watching that video, I went back to saw, looked at his fights again. I'm like, this is why he wins. Like, it's hard yeah. to hit him. So with this fight, they're not giving this guy a chance. I'm not giving this guy a chance. Canelo <laughs> wins. He doesn't knock him out. They go to 12 rounds. And he yeah. wins by you know Canelo. Canelo always wins, always wins the unanimous decision fights where he's just like, I'm, I'm just gonna methodically beat you. I'm not gonna beat you. I'm just gonna methodically beat you. And it's it's bro, it's it's like music to the ears, and just like it's just it's amazing how he what he does in the ring, and it's real true boxing. If you really love boxing, you're gonna love Canelo because he's down to the T. I hate when people say, oh, he's running. No, that is defense. A defense, defense is a good offense. Yeah. And it, it's not like he doesn't have knockout power. He's mm -hmm. smart. He has IQ like Money Mayweather. I'm smart. I know what points I'm going to hit you. Like, I'm going to throw accurate punches. I'm going to lose your punches. And I'm going to make you look silly. And I'm going to win the match because this is boxing. I don't care what the fans say. But uh, no, Canelo, I think this is going to mean the world to him. I think him getting back in the ring is going to be dope because I've missed boxing. I haven't like kept up with much, you know, boxing. I'm a UFC nut, but when it comes to Canelo, I watch his fights for sure. But transitioning to what we could possibly see next from Canelo, um, we both agreed that this will probably be a decisive victory for him. Is there potentially like another opponent that you think he could, you know, face to to just build on his repertoire, or do you think he he may possibly take some some time off as you know he was his last fight was in December this is in February so maybe just wait for something in the summer or or later months to kind of recalibrate what his next move is going to be I definitely think after this fight he takes a break I think there's no yeah. one out there that can it's skill for skill pound for pound that can match him so after this after he wins this unanimous decision fight and he might surprise him. He might go for the knockout. We never know. He might go for yeah. the knockout. But I know for this, after this fight, I think he takes a break because it's you get bored after a while. Yeah. Transitioning to our first uh, album review uh, for for this episode, um, start off with Pink Sweat's uh, Pink Planet review and just thoughts on some of the effective R and B instrumentation along with reflection. Um, 
the latest album from Pink Sweat um, deals with looking back on his early years. Um, says in the opening, Soulful Pink City, uh, when you're cold and all alone, you can build a city and call it home. And there's an inward look overall that navigates self-love with the utmost in- intimacy. And in the track, At My Worst, um, there's amazing production from Don Hill and an excellent feature uh, from Kalani, which you know enhances the, the romantic overtones. But what were your thoughts on the, a project that just has you know effortless reflection of the worry um, that comes with un- unreciprocated love? Ooh. You know, I wasn't always big on Pink Sweat. Um, I didn't know mm-hmm. he, who he was until I started doing music in 2019. I was like, who is this guy dressing all pink? But um, I think his music is, <laughs> is, is, he's a trendsetter, man. And he has that that type of music that mellows you out, but it, it gives you like substance. Like he's, he's well-rounded. He doesn't have to do too much, but this album, bro, like I was like vibed out. Like literally, I could let this album play all, all the way through yeah. in eighteen songs, I believe. And now, when you send me the topics, yeah. I was listening to it yesterday. I was like, "Why haven't I listened to this already before he put this as a topic? I should have given it to you." <laughs> Kaylani's feature was one so of my good. friends told me. One of my co one of my coworkers told me, like, "Yo, have you heard the new Pink Sweat album?" I was like, "Yo, I gotta listen to that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see what that is." Bro, it's nice, and I love the cover art, bro. It's like I love cover arts like that. It's engaging and gets your mind like Peak Planet. That's dope. But yeah, nah, this music was like, yeah, this this this, this was this was fire, straight through. And then you know what I love about it. Not that many features. What's that? Not that many features. Yeah. I love that. Not many. He didn't need it. He didn't. He has one feature. <laughs> that was Kaylani. I love the yeah. confidence. That's yeah. the confidence you're supposed to which, have as an which, which, this, this is a pro. This is a pro Kalani podcast. Whenever you have Kalani on a feature, it's it's gonna <laughs> slap. Whenever, whenever, whenever you have her on a feature, it's gonna just like Janae Aiko. I mean, like, like, like those are those are two of the top ones. Whenever you have them on a feature, like you can't go wrong. Nah, not at all. And they're like they just they can't miss. They they can't they they hit every time every feature every song like they they're just two artists like you just can't hate. Like I love both of them, <laughs> but bro, like it, I love the confidence yeah. you have to have to not have many features and your music stand alone. That's really hard to do. Like really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And, and for me, like Lowe's and Seventeen were two of my favorite. Like we, whenever we do these album reviews, we always talk about like what were our favorite tracks on them. Were there a couple ones or a few ones that? Um, I mean, obviously, at my worst is a really good one. But were there a few ones that you really liked off this project? Probably Magic, Magic for sure. And um, I love the mm-hmm. jam session, and I love. How it came about, I was reading um his interviews about the album and he's he said it was um he's coming up with the idea it was like it was actually on like it was live and he was on the drums and I love that he could play you know instruments too and he was singing at the same time and he recorded it and he was just like yo it's fun it's light like I like this I love songs that come about like it's not like you're trying to focus on I need to create this song it happens organically and the song is fire and magic like yeah that's a dope you know what I mean it's just like everything was like well I just love how it's created how like it like I don't know it set the tone too I know it's like um 
poor song on the uh, on the Westcom, but I just think it sets the tone for So Sweet. It sets the tone for the interlude. It sets the tone for Pink Money. Like Pink Money is my favorite. Magic is my favorite. Obviously, at my worst, featuring Kalani is my favorite. Um, and I love the premise behind. It. I love the sequence and the pink. I think he started with Pink City, if I'm not mistaken. And then just to give you an insight, yeah, you know, Pink City. That was the opener. Giving you an insight of who he was, and then it's just it's a story. I love I love the the concept behind yeah. it. Yeah, man. But magic was one of yeah. I love albums that are yes. stories. I love albums that are that are story. And this was a story. This was that type of type of project. Teach me something about you. Give me something about you that like I want to relate to you. If I listen to your music, I want to relate to you. You can relate to him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Him what he's growing up, what he's been through about love. Everybody can relate to love. So yeah, this was this was a this was a a, a solid project. Solid, solid project. project. <laughs> it is hard to have a solid project with over fifteen songs. Like I think it was like I said, I think it was eighteen. Yeah. So it's hard to have that. Mm. I, the concise projects, in my opinion, the concise projects are always better. But when you can go above and beyond, this was a this was a story type of album, and, and you can really like draw it out and, and make it relatable. Love is a, is a topic that anybody can relate to. That's where he was able to really pull this off. Yeah, and mm, that is a good point, Willis. And, and just thinking about the, the, the concise. Yeah, album. that is a good point. Concise album. Concise albums are the way to go. That's the way for twenty twenty one. Yeah, concise, <laughs> but sometimes you just can't fit. Everything, yeah, concise album, because you, because I'm pretty sure for this for this idea, he was like, I gotta fit everything. It has to make sense. It has to flow. Like the story has to flow. Like even with um, chains, he was like, um, he was so nervous because he went on tour. He was like, me and my girl gonna break up, and it's just like. You gotta have those mm. in betweens in there for it to make yeah. sense. It has to Got make you. sense. A concise album is like ideal, but if you have like an amazing concept behind it and you know you can't fit it in there with like, you know, 12, 13 songs, then 18 songs it is. Mm-hmm. But they have to be, it has to be good songs, it have to be songs that people can listen to over and over. But yeah, and then I, I, I Apple, do definitely in, agree. In, in, in a, in a race. Yeah. I mean, in a recent um, Apple Music interview, Bryson Tiller said anniversary, it had to be like 10 tracks. Like he wanted it to be more, but he was just like, he just wasn't ready to put out like a a layered um, extended type of project. Because, you know, it's Trap Soul was the peak of what he did. And he felt as though five years later, he just still wasn't ready to put out like a, a, a longer type of project that people could take in. And he's he's rumored to make a, a three-part album. Serenity is rumored to be like a pop, hip-hop, and R&B album, like all in one. So, I mean, it, it, it's how our artist puts together different segments of their album is just so crucial. And Pink Sweat really pulled this one off. Yeah, he did. I thought you transitioned to Bryson Tiller there yeah. for a minute because I, yeah, I kind of am. I kind of. It's a shameless. Se- <laughs> it's a shameless. Se- <laughs> it's a shameless segue into anniversary. <laughs> Good transition because I was just about you to say that. You got that. You're like, you're like, oh, you know what? He's trying to transition into that next. <laughs> it was smooth too. It was super smooth. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I mean, just we we've already reviewed anniversary 
th th with the deluxe, you, you had five new tracks. Um, Still Yours with Big Sean, The Timeless Interlude Part 2, Losing Focus, 7 O'Clock, and Light Clockwork. Um, to me, this these, these 7 O'Clock and Light Clockwork were, were like my two just repeatable tracks. I really feel as though Tiller is... is just the place he's in, he's, he seems like he's in a really good place. He's putting out the type of music that he wants to make. Even looking back at Anniversary, I think this was a much better project than I I gave it credit for. Um, not saying that it's at the top of what he's done, but it, it, it's just it, it, it's so interesting when you look back at projects. You're like, yo, this was a lot better than I said it was. You have to like sit with it for a while. Um, but to you, kind of like, what were your thoughts on, on this um, Anniversary Deluxe and just some of your favorite same tracks? thing, man? Um, it was crazy when I first initially listened to it. Only save two songs. That was out of time and um, mm. timeless interlude, and then I was like, then I saw like this his Facebook ad right of sorrow. I've literally been paying, playing sorrow oh, over goodness. and over and over. It's so bro. good. I was like, hold up, is this a new song? He dropped a new song, and I was like, oh, it's an anniversary. <laughs> was, it was already on anniversary. Yeah, and I like it's it's. <laughs> I feel like you had to go back and listen to it. I think you had to be in like another state of mind to like um like appreciate this project. Because this this is a good project too. I went back and I was like, yo, why did I not give this a shot? Because it doesn't sound like trap so good. It doesn't sound like trap so give it another shot. So I gave it another shot. <laughs> That's a good evolution. Exactly, bro. It's <laughs> bro, he still has that um trap soul in there, but it's more he's involved as an artist. And what he talks about and how he the concepts mm -hmm. he, he's put to puts on a uh, beat and you know what I'm saying it, it's different. But sorrows, man, is definitely my favorite. Out of time, definitely my favorite. Um, timeless interlude. I love how he talks about his bro. I love how he talks about his kids are older now and they want more than just advice. So I got to keep eating. I got to keep grinding. You know what I mean? It's just like. Yeah, bro, because he don't talk about that stuff in his music. Trap so he didn't really talk about it. He talked about love and his baby mama and stuff like that. But this, we get more because he's ready for us. And I'm glad he didn't drop music yeah. in that time span because now we get that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, he said that everything is falling into place for him in, um, in that in that interview. Like he was saying, like he just feels as though he's in that that type of space where he can put out the right amount of music and for traps always said he was just getting into the game. It, it was just, it was not something that he wasn't at a mature stage of his career. And at this point, the last couple of years for him just hasn't been as enjoyable, but it really feels as though, like, can you, can you tell when an artist is just, even by their music and the music they're releasing, that they're in a better mental state. Yes. And you can tell by how transparent he's becoming in his music and it's, it's certain songs that definitely highlight that. And one, the highest one of this timeless interlude. And the, the more comfortable mm -hmm. artist is, but sharing his life, he's in the, he's, he's mature. Cause you're not going to like, if you don't, you're scared of what people are going to think about you or how it's going to be like perceived. You're not going to put that in your music. Sometimes you're going to give them music that, you know, they can buy with and not, you know, have any substance in there. But for the for the anniversary, I think he really was in a state of mind. He was like, yo, I don't care if this flops or not. I don't care if people buy with it. I just know I'm at a place where I can drop this and be happy with it. You can see how confident he is in the music. I, I mean, you could definitely mm -hmm. tell the evolution oh, yeah. of him. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Malcolm and Reed review.
Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Malcolm and Marie review. To start with the overview, Malcolm and Marie is a 2021 American black and white romantic drama film written, produced, and directed by Sam Levinson. This film stars John David Washington and Zendaya, who both also produced um, as the title characters. A writer, director, and his girlfriend whose relationship is tested on the night of his latest film's premiere. The project was the first Hollywood feature to be entirely written, financed, and produced during the COVID-19 pandemic. The filming is taking place in secret in June and July of 2020. Um, Kid Cudi also served as an executive producer on the film. It had a budget of $2.5 million, and Savon, hold, hold your horses here, 58% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 58% rating. One of the lowest one of the lowest rated films we've ever reviewed. Um, but what kind of like, what were your initial thoughts of this film as it had just very exceptional performances from Zendaya and John David Washington and um, Sam Levinson's unique direction put together um, all times during a pandemic? How dare they say 58%? This is literally a 80% film. Literally an 80%. 58%? This is this is top like I'll say it's more like seventy five. I'd say more like seventy five. A decent decent. What? Wow! I didn't love this. This is like this is like a Joker review for this is like this is like a Joker review for us. I like this is the thing. I love the 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 performances, but I think the movie's direction was kind of like a little bit all over the place. From my opinion, it, it just seemed as one of those films, That's and so I could I could tell. They were in sync as a as a duo, but the film's direction was just a little just haphazard. Wow, Wellington, you just just <laughs> uh, wow. That was the entire point. It was they shot it chaotically because their relationship is chaotic. No, you know what? Are we going to get to that? This to film that. is literally a B plus film. This film, I wanted to see Zendaya in a different light. I got that. I want to see how how deep John David's uh, uh, acting abilities were. I got that. This was a fit. This was good. And from a shooting standpoint, who's the guy who took digital cinema oh, broadcast all that stuff? This this film was shot. Yes, it's exceptional. Well, I said you. Woo. How it was shot. This how it was shot. shot. <laughs> okay here we go all right i'm ready look i mean you should you should be very surprised that i'm i'm saying this because sam levinson dealt with euphoria zendaya's in euphoria this is a pro euphoria podcast the show you've never seen i'm just saying but but i mean to start it off with our first topic one to four stars what would you give it i'm gonna give you the baton i got it at three i'm not gonna do the three and a half the, 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 the strong chemistry between both stars is, is obviously undeniable, but I, I feel as though what the film wants to be in its own ambitions just aren't that satisfactory. It just kind of felt like a rush type Whoa. of production to me. But to you, I'm going to four stars. Oh, be wow. Four stars. Well, it's it. Everything you're wow. saying, it was on purpose. Four stars on purpose. You know how hard it is to shoot at one location in black that and white? It's very hard. It's extremely hard. They did it 
they did it effectively. Even the first couple sequences, how he came into the house, how her mood was different from his mood. The camera showed his mood. They showed the motions of everything coincide with each other. The music, the camera angles, how they shot it, his movement. It had started high. She was low. And then it fluctuated. Their relationship is rocky. Everything has to be rocky. If you just shoot it, happy-go-lucky and the characters are different and ever so changing throughout the movie, it would not work. It had to be shot in a chaotic form. It had to show you it was chaotic. Mm-hmm. Come on, Wellington. Come on, Wellington, man. Come on, brother. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a three and a half. I'll give it a three and a half. I'll give it a three. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, I give it a three and a half. That was so funny. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, okay, I give it a three and a half. All right, you made a good... It's still not a four, I mean... <laughs> but, uh, That's funny. I mean, this is this is a 50 favorite character. We either got Malcolm and Marie. Um, t- to me, like, obviously, Zendaya, this is a standout performance from her. What she's been able to do in her yes. career overall is just... It's one of the high points, and... and the, the performance is taken to another gear as through a means of manipulation and, and proving herself to Malcolm. She's convincing and there's a, a ton of nuances she's taken advantage of. Um, but just for, for either performance, was there one that you just kind of maybe admired a little bit more? Zendaya. Zendaya. She played multiple roles in this one character. We'll get to those scenes, but she made me believe everything. The moment she came in the house, her looks, her movements, the way she still did her catered to the man she's in love with from cooking him macaroni cheese, which is craft, which is disgusting, by the way. But she cooked him mac and cheese, asked if he wanted salted or unsalted butter. She made me believe. Ooh. This, look, Zendaya played this role too. Now, John David Washington, that boy played his role too. That he did. Eating that macaroni cheese, put the tie, the, the tie <laughs> back, put the tie back, smacking while he's talking. <laughs> Upset. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, but yeah, Zendaya, yeah, she. It's one scene in particular I can't wait till we get to, but she, I was like, whoa, she about to. Then she, oh, she flipped it on and off. Like, it was crazy, but yeah, yeah. And, and and another thing that's been mentioned, like some of the controversy leading up to the film was that there was this big age gap. John David Washington's 36 and Daya's uh, just 24. Did did Was that something that you felt a little skeptical about coming into the movie, that there was this big, you know, age or maturity gap? Because it really felt as though, it, you, you could tell that, but I also feel as though Zendaya's maturity also was another thing that, Made it made made the film work from their two yes. viewpoints and standpoints. Yeah, I, I I didn't really care about the age difference. I cared about if she could play the role. Could yeah. she? Could she? Could she perceive this role the right way? Could she bring this role to life? It doesn't matter about the age difference when it comes to acting and becoming the movies. It did kind of like I never seen her in this light, but it was a good thing because now you see how deep her acting can go. She mm-hmm. made you believe this role. The difference, it, it matters if you can if you can step up to the plate and knock it out like you you were 
you know, 28 or 32 or whatever that, you know, close to age to um, John David Washington. I think you got to say his full name. You just can't say John. Um, <laughs> you got to say his full name. John. John uh, so, yeah, I really like what John did. And <laughs> you got to say his full name. That, they, they, they knew what they were doing. John David is his first name. And I don't know what his middle name is, but it's John David Washington. Um, but man i just no i don't i don't really i didn't really care about the age difference it was a matter of could she step up to the plate could they perceive like if they can really act this role um and bring these characters to life and i think that's exactly what they did 58 percent. i'm disgusted i mm. am disgusted should have been 78 should have been 78 um <laughs> What? <laughs> Come on, bro. You're killing me, Wellington. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Um, but but uh, getting to the, the most memorable scenes, I have the opening sequence where, you know, this is at the beginning where there's a wide shot of the car arriving, and then um, there's the longer shot of Malcolm's rant bragging about how successful the movie was. Um, you know, obviously the emotional uh, bathtub scene, one of the most kind of like, um, you know, key parts of the movie and, and film as a transitional point. Um, looking in the middle of the night, as you mentioned earlier, where, where Marie's making a bowl of mac and cheese as this leads up to one of the first intense arguments and they missed dinner because of a uh, movie premiere. Um, meaningless trips outside where um, Malcolm thinks he's lost Marie. Marie steps into the backyard and walks to the tree line. Um, it's a moment um, where, you know, there's a, it, it's, the whole film is chaos, but that's like one of the chaotic moments where Malcolm really thinks that he's lost her. And then finally, somehow losing things where Malcolm is trying to see the LA, the LA Times review of his movie, but has to get through the site's paywall and, and going through the house looking for his uh, wallet. So you kind of like, what was your most, one of your most memorable scenes of this film? So those, all of those were dope, especially when they was yelling, blah, 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 I hate you, I hate you. Yeah. Like it was cool. <laughs> you start making a sound. And the, the best scene of the entire movie, well, one or two, I'm going to give you the, the best two. When she came in with the knife mm. and she started dialoguing and he really thought, Marie, put the, put the knife down. What are you doing? And I really thought she was, she was at that breaking point because he said some like really hurtful things. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, she's going to kill this man. And they, nobody out there, <laughs> they... <laughs> they in Malibu, ain't nobody gonna hear him scream. And then she flipped it off. And the funniest part, he's like, why you ain't do that in the audition? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> why, why are you acting good now? Why are you at a 10 now? <laughs> why you ain't doing the audition? Right, yeah. And then um, the other, another moment was when she was in the bed. And he was standing there. He was like, I just want to thank you. Thank you for... Uh, loving you. Thank you for making mac and cheese. Thank you for uh, being a drug addict. Thank you for being a music. Like, it was just that, like, overall moment, just summing everything. She literally just wanted a thank you. Mm-hmm. It took a while to get there, but it summed everything up when it was when she was sitting in the bed. Yo, that was yeah. a powerful scene because women want to be appreciated, and you th- you, you thanked everybody. But except her. for her, except for her, that was crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, I had. I know when nothing is something. Um, well, maybe you can't read me, Malcolm. I promise you, nothing productive is going to be said tonight. You spend your entire life catering to the feelings and the whims of literally everyone but me. And finally, I feel like once you know someone is there for you, and once you know they love you, 
you never actually think of them again. I think that quote was my top one of the movie really like encapsulated everything the movie was getting at. Um, to you, kind of like, what was your favorite quote from this particular film? Hmm, it's a lot of them. Ooh, so you know I made a mistake, so why turn into something more? And she was like, because it is more. It's our entire effing relationship in a nutshell. And then that was a big one. And then another one when he was like, cinema doesn't need to have a message. It needs to have a heart. Mm. And he, I don't think he understood what he was saying because the heart of that film was her. Yeah. And you forgot to thank her. So it was just like those like little, like, you know what I'm saying? Nuggets in there. Like it's, bro, I can't believe you said this is 78%. I can't believe Rod Tomato said it was 58%. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> the the one thing I'll, I'll say, so many people took, so many people were like really, in terms of their critique of the movie, was saying, you know, this is like, you know, glorifying in a, a verbally abusive man toward his, you know, toward his woman. There's toxic relationships. Like, do you think the real life element is what possibly made this film just not critically or universally accepted? Because so many people felt as though it just, the real life elements of it were just maybe too real and too harsh make it as an enjoyable film, a film you can go back and look at, look at a lot. Like, do you, do you possibly see where people could be coming from, from from that standpoint? You know what? I think we need to be, it has to be relatable. You know, how many relationships, how many people fight dirty, mm -hmm. fight just to fight, not fight to make a reconcile or have a, the, the, think about the bigger picture. Everything. There's always going to be, a, there's always going to be an argument eventually. If it hasn't happened yet, it's, it's yes. Fine. Friction creates growth. Friction is good. Talking about things, arguing is good, but are you arguing for the bigger picture or are you arguing to win or lose? Because they were arguing to, to win or lose. And it was so crazy how they were going back and forth to, to, to figure out how can I hurt him more than he just hurt me? Because he literally walked outside and was talking to himself, came back inside when she was taking a bath and really went in on her. Gosh. And then he was satisfied. Moo got out, and then she sat in there for a minute. And then she mm -hmm. came back out. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's chaotic. Everything was chaotic. Some of relationships are just like that. And I think that's why I love it so much, because it was relatable. It was mm -hmm. real. It was authentic. It wasn't like, oh, we, we're going to argue, and then we're going to make up, and then we're going to... No! It don't, it don't, it don't happen that fast. It's a whole process. <laughs> it does not work that way. I think that's why I love it so much because how it was shot, how they acted their butt off and the, it was so realistic. It was realistic, man. It was, it was relatable. Like I, I, I've been in those type of relationships before where we weren't arguing to, to reconcile or think of the bigger picture. We were arguing to who who could hurt the person the most. Like, okay, you gonna say you gonna talk about that? Okay, what about this? Blah 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 blah. blah. Going at it. So I thought it was. I mean, I can see where they're coming from, but I rather have this than a cake pop film that really didn't tell the true story. And it told so much about addiction, how people love people through addiction, how hard it is to love somebody through addiction, how hard it is not to hold that against the person you're loving through addiction. It's realistic. So, I mean, yo, bro, like, it's, it's so realistic. Everything is spot on. I don't want a cake pop film. 
I don't want that. If I did that, I'll watch Disney or Nickelodeon. If I wanted a cake pop Go film, I want Plus. the real Go deal. Hire up Disney Plus and, and get your cake. <laughs> and get that yeah, type of film. and you say. <laughs> And you put 58% on WandaVision. And you're going to put 58% on Malcolm. Okay, that's not that. WandaVision is really dope. So I'm not going to say it's 58%. Amazing. It's but, amazing. <laughs> but to say Malcolm and Marie is 58% when it's John David Washington and, and Zendaya, I don't even know her full name, but it's Zendaya. Don't you do that. You put some respect on their name. Transitioning <laughs> um, to, to what did you like the most about the storyline? I, I mean... You said over, over and over and over again, just the realistic nature of it. That is a major part of it. The visuals also really communicate a lot, you know, from just the minimal, minimalist home that provides a setting to the, um, to just the use of the 35 mm photograph shadows within it, and just sets the stage for the film's aesthetic and vibe. Um, it just in, in terms of just what did you like the most about the storyline? The realistic nature is what you said, but is there anything else? in particular, that, that you like the most about this uh, particular storyline for Malcolm and Marie? How is highs and lows and chaotic? <clears throat> and they, they, and then they spoke. They, they used dialogue through the music. It was a couple times where they used songs to say, I'm sorry, but it wasn't good enough. They didn't get to that point where that, that climax points were like, okay, here's reconciliation. We're not there yet. Even when they were kissing and, and were about to get into the moment, and then it just clicked back on. Nah, nah, we're not making up this. I love the chaos. I love how chaotic it was. And they showed it in every instance. They used every inch of that house, every inch of the, the scenery, the music, the food, the facial expressions. Everything was chaotic. Everything was highs and lows. And then at the end of the film, it was calm. Closing out with our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be a watchable and intriguing film? Um, for me personally, I, I, I do feel as though it does have the potential to still be that. Um, it, it's not a movie I would revisit a lot, but I do feel as though the exceptional performances, both from Zendaya and, and John David Washington, are just undeniable as, as, the, as the chemistry was, you know, definitely there. Not a top tier film, in my opinion, but still... Um, a solid performance from both and definitely um, a solid film. Um, I just feel as though the narrative structure and just what the movie was trying to accomplish was a little bit all over the place and, and very ambitious. Um, my co-host um, was not able to be here for, for the uh, end of the episode, but um, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, one of my counterparts, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.